with you. In a short amount of time, we're going to turn to Matthew chapter 6. Sort of continue on a little bit from a few weeks ago, but maybe a slightly different angle than what we started to talk about. About, how old am I now? Would have been about 20 something, 20, 20, between 15 and 20 years ago. I was, um, and I'm not old by the way, Jackie, I did hear that. I heard that under your breath. About 20, 15, 20 years ago, I was um, uh, over in India. We moved over as a family. Um, some of you know our story. We spent a few years living over there working uh, with a mission agency in, in central India and uh, had an absolutely wonderful time. Loved it over there, loved the people, loved what uh, God is doing in that part of the world. And it was a, an invitation that got extended to us that we, excuse me, eventually said yes to. We were keen, but uh, we had to, to wait for a few things to fall into place. They did. We packed up our little family, which at the time consisted of me, Jackie, and Caleb. And we moved over to a place called uh, Nagpur, which is a geographical centre of India, right smack bang in the middle. You can't get any further away from a beach. Uh, if you're going to live in India, that's the place to be. So <coughs> we were over there. We moved into this little house. And this little house was in a, a Hindu colony. It was surrounded by... Uh, sorry, it was a Muslim colony, actually, the one we moved into. But we had this lovely old man, this Hindu neighbour, and uh, his daughters were, were became good friends with Jackie. And it was interesting because uh, he was a very staunch Hindu and... Uh, we would have these little opportunities and we would talk to, to them about God being a father and the love of a father and uh, the Hindu religion and the, the way that they do things. A lot of it's about trying to appease many different gods and doing things to make them happy with you and to try to get their, their, their love and to get their blessing upon you. And so when you open your shop in the morning, you've got to do certain things and you want your crops, you pray to a certain God. and Everything's about uh, pleasing God so that he might be happy with you and bless you. We came along and we start talking about this loving father who, who loves us not because of what we do, but apart from what we do. He loves us because of who we are. We're his creation, we're his children, and he loves us. And um, there were a few opportunities there where I, I remember a book called The Father Heart of God by a, a great man called Floyd McClung. We, uh, I think Jackie snuck it to one of the, his eldest daughters and uh, she was secretly reading it. And, uh, and one day the old man came around with this book. You're this yours. Slapped it down and turned around and walked away. Um, but... I remember one particular incident with this man that, that really stuck in my head. We had some visiting teams. We would get outreach teams from different parts of the world would come to our city and we would host them. So they would, some of them would stay with us or they, we'd set up accommodation and then we would take them out and give them uh, different experiences over the course of anywhere between two weeks and four weeks. We'd take them out to villages and they'd get to do practical stuff and, and help people and building programs. They also get to go and preach and share testimonies and pray for the sick and all kinds of, of stuff, bit of a short-term mission experience for them. And I remember one particular time we had a team stay at our house and we hadn't long been in this house that we moved into. And something woefully terrible happened. Um, the fact that I'm telling you about it today, I'll be honest with you, there's still a scarring inside my soul. I pray that the Lord would deliver me of that, set me free. 
One particular day, I opened up the door to this little room. It's called a toilet, and we have them in the West, only they're a little bit different over there. Our toilet was what they call a squatty potty. It's just basically a hole in the ground with two foot pants. So you stand on that and you do your business, and uh, it doesn't have a big cistern at the top, and you push a button and it flushes away. There's just this hole in the ground. I remember walking in there one day, and I opened up the door, and it was full to the very, very top of the thing, and it was actually rolling over onto the floor in the bathroom. Now, that's not too bad. If it was just water, that would not have been a problem. However, it had been used and damaged by about 15 outreach people who had been in and out, and nobody had bothered to tell me that this thing had backed up and up and up and up and up to the point where it was just overflowing. And so I walked in there, and I'm confronted with this incredible mess. You know, it's, it's water, but there's things floating in there that should not be floating in there. Uh, there's all kinds of things that that I don't even want to talk about, but it's all floating around inside this bowl. And I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, well, this is now you know, our place. I've got to unblock this thing. So what do I do to unblock this thing? I don't know what to do. So I think, oh, maybe a plunger. But I don't have a plunger because we've just moved there and I don't know where to go to get a plunger. So we go next door to this um, house and this old Indian man has a plunger. So he walks me over to the house and he stands in the door of the toilet and he hands me the plunger and he stands back and he watches with a great deal of joy, I'm sure, as this white dude from Australia sits there and I put the plunger in and I went, jum, jum, jum. When I went on the third jung, which is the upward motion, jung, j is the down, jung is the up. On the third jung as it came up, I fell backwards and the stick came off the plunger and the plunger stuck in the bottom of the toilet bowl. And so I'm standing there with this stick. I can't see because of the water, but I know it's where the plunger part is. It's in there. And I've got this Indian man standing, looking over my shoulder, his arms crossed like this, like, what are you going to do about this? What are you doing? You know, it's not your plunger. (laughs) It's my plunger. What are you doing? And I'm standing there, I'm looking at him, and I'm looking at this scene, and back at him, and the scene, and it's like, oh, I've only got one choice. So with great angst, I rolled up my sleeve, I tried not to look and I just pushed things out the way as the hand went down into the toilet. I tried to get my fingers under the bottom of the plunger unit and I'm digging away trying to, and eventually I peeled a little bit off and out it comes. Well of course when out it comes it's not the only thing that comes out when my hand flies out like this and now I've got little things flying around the place and little bits on me that don't want to be there, I don't want them on me. But I've still got a bowl full of water and all the other stuff that's in the wind. So I'm standing there and I'm going, right, I, I, I need a container. Somebody get me a container. So I got a little container and then I'm standing there and I'm trying to scoop everything out into this plastic container. Meanwhile, I've still got this man standing there, arms crossed, just watching me the whole time, watching me, probably hilarious to him, just watching this white going in there trying to clean out this toilet. After about five minutes of scooping and pulling it out, and so I must have almost been in tears, but of course I'm here to help these people, so I'm not going to be too proud to cry in front of this old Indian man. But he must have seen the, the, the look on my face that I was almost at my wit's end. So without even flinching, he goes like this to me. And he goes, um, looks down at the wall, and there's a little tap on the wall. He goes, watch this. <laughs> All gone, disappeared. Just like that. I'm standing. Now, I'd seen the tap there before. This is the thing. I knew the tap was there. I'd seen it before since we'd moved. I just thought it must just be a water tap. You know, you turn on and off so the water flows through the taps. Had no idea that this thing, because we we would do our stuff and I would go and get a bucket of water and throw it down and it was enough. But obviously with 15 people, it didn't quite work. But um, this guy leans down and just with one turn of his finger, all disappears. 
and uh, everything was cleaned up. I'm going to share a little bit of a message this morning, a little bit of a thought uh, with us out of Matthew uh, chapter 6. Now, what happened in that situation was that I was fairly focused on my ability to try to fix this problem and I missed what was actually right in front of me that could have taken care of that problem, that could have been a solution for me. And I think sometimes in life we get a bit like that. We get so fixed on trying to fix problems, so fixed on the situations that sometimes we don't see what's right in front of us. I had the tap before me, but I didn't make the connection that it could actually be the solution to what was a big problem for me at the time. So I want to talk a little bit today about a solution to a problem that Jesus gave to a group of people. It's probably not something new to any of us here or something you haven't heard before, but I'm hoping that it will help you. Matthew chapter 6, we started talking a few weeks ago about the parallel verse of this in Luke chapter 12. Everybody knows this when I say the words to you, do not worry. Do not worry. If I say to you, we're going to talk about the worry passage today. Most people would know where we're going with the worry passage. We're going to Luke 12 or we're going to Matthew chapter 6 and we're going to talk about the worry passage today. But I want to maybe talk about it a little bit differently than what we have in the past. When we talked about it a few weeks ago, we talked about the connection and the big picture where Jesus, first of all, had a man come up to him and say, you know, tell my brother to give me my inheritance. And then Jesus goes on and he he contrasted the value system of the world with the value system of the kingdom. Well, in Matthew, there's a few little details in there that take us down another little bit of a path. Now, I want to start by asking you a couple of questions. First of all, and I want you to be brutally honest with me. I don't want you to lie to me. Don't hold back, okay? This is church. We can be honest with each other. Let me ask you a question. Has anybody this week worried about whether my wife's houseplants are growing new shoots? Be honest. Any of you sat at home this week and worried about whether my wife's houseplants have grown a new shoot? Anybody? Somebody? Surely somebody, surely one of you at this point this week have wondered, I wonder if Jackie's plants are growing new. I'm really worried that, anyone, anyone worried about that this week? No? No, so you haven't, so you haven't cared about that. Fair enough, at least you're being honest with me. Have you worried at all about the patch of grey hair on the top of my head? Do you get up nice and close? I've got a big patch of greys sort of around that area there. Have any of you guys worried about the grey hair that's starting to appear on my head this week? Has anyone at home, have any of your husbands woke up, shot bolt upright in your bed in the middle of the night? You watch, going, what, what? Oh, I'm just worried about that grey patch on Alan's head. I'm just, I'm really worried about that. Any of you done that? Be honest. <laughs> Apart from Jaggy. You know, if I let this facial hair grow, you know, it's got lots of grey in it too and it's also got, mind you, that's a good thing, Rob. A very distinguished look up the back there. But I've got ginger in mine as well. It's like a grey ginger sort of a mix. It's, I don't know, it's, just keep it off and that's, that's, yeah, well, that's exactly true. It's a good point. Not that there's anything wrong with baldness. Receding. Okay, we're all receding. It's just at different rates. Okay, what about... Let me ask you a bit more serious, closer to home. Have any of you people this week worried about how well my children are doing at school? Youth leaders, yeah, you're good youth leaders, good answer. Good answer, you, you've got the job for another 14 days. Um, you probably haven't worried too much about how my children are doing at school this week. How many of you have worried about whether I have enough money to pay my personal bills this week? Probably not a lot of you. Probably not a lot of you have stopped what you're doing, put your coffee cup down and go, geez, I'm really worried about whether Alan can pay his internet this way. It's really troubling me. Probably not many of you have done that. It doesn't make you bad people, but you probably haven't thought about that this week. Well, what about my 
uh, family members and friends, the people that I personally know that are on my heart right now that don't have a relationship with God? Have you worried about the family members of mine that don't yet know Christ, that have a relationship with God? Have you worried about that this week? You probably haven't. Is it fair to say? It doesn't make you bad people. You probably haven't. But if I flip things around a little bit, let me ask you this question. If all those things were to be personalised, and I was talking about your life and your bills that need to be paid and your loved ones that don't know God and your children who may be struggling at school, maybe it'd be fair to say you may have spent some time worrying about those. Fair to say? Yeah? I think it's a fair thing to say. You probably worry about some of that stuff that happens in your own world. So here's the thing. We tend to worry about the things in life that we are most devoted to. Think about it. The things that we are personally most devoted to are generally the breeding ground for worry in my life. If I'm not devoted or committed to something, I generally don't worry too much about those areas of life. Just like my wife's house plant. You're not that worried about it because you don't devote, you're not devoted to whether our plants grow in our house or not. You probably don't care doesn't make you a bad person but you know what you might have a, a a tree in your lounge room that you know it really means something special to you and has some symbolism or whatever and you may worry about that the truth of the matter is we why we tend to worry most about things that we are devoted to so when we're devoted to something it is the breeding ground for potential worry in our life in other words i worry most about the things that i'm most devoted to See, things you are most committed to, the things you are most devoted to, they actually become the fuel for worry in our lives. Any area of uncertainty in our life around that area generally can fuel worry. That's what happens. We worry about things that we are committed to. Now, in this passage in Matthew 6, Jesus starts off in verse 25. He says, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Now, Jesus is actually speaking to a group of people at the time sitting on this, in this hill listening to him who are actually living a fairly hand-to-mouth existence in the day. These were genuine things that a lot of those people would actually be worrying about because they are devoted to food. They needed to eat. Their families needed to eat. They were devoted to, to, to making sure that they were properly attired, that they were clothed. They had sandals and shoes to wear on their feet that they had fluid to drink because you need fluid, you need water. You know, they're not worried about Cokes and Fantas. They're just talking about, about what, what we're going to drink and what we're going to have and so on. So the people he's speaking to there, all of these things would have got their attention. They'd have gone, yeah, yeah no, you know what? They are genuine needs. They're areas of life that we think about. The areas of life we're devoted to. Therefore, yeah, I, we do. We, we worry a bit about that. If he was to come here this morning, if Jesus was preaching this morning, he might stand here and he might say to you, do not worry about your child who has wandered away from God at the moment. He might stand here and say, do not worry about your mortgage payment that you are struggling to make. He might stand here and he might say, do not worry about the, you know, the ache and the pain that you're feeling in your body. Now, he's not saying none of those things are real. He's just saying, don't worry. Now, what happens when we read this passage is that we think that this is a teaching where Jesus is saying, don't worry. This is not a teaching where Jesus is coming to them and saying, don't worry. It's not an admonition to stop worrying. It's a teaching about why you are worrying. So when we approach this passage, 
Jesus is not standing there saying to these people, don't worry. And they're all saying, you ever done that to people? People, they're thinking about things and they're worrying. And we just go, oh, we hear their concern. We say, oh, just don't worry about that. How many of you have ever been told, oh, just don't worry about that? I've done it. I do it all the time. Oh, don't worry about that. And then afterwards they go, what a stupid thing to say. Oh, just don't worry about that. As if I woke up today and thought, you know what? What can I worry about today? Uh, Oh, I'm going to choose that. I'm going to choose this particular area of my life to really worry about today, stress over, and to get anxious about. It's a choice. Oh, don't? Okay. I'll just move on with life. And Jesus isn't standing here saying to these people, don't worry. He's not telling them that I'm telling you now you can't. What he's doing is I want to explain to you why you are worrying. It's a teaching about why we worry. So as we read forward into it, there are some significant things that Jesus wants to say to us about this whole issue of worry. Worry is something we can all relate to. Worry is something that we have all done. Worry is something that we all face. We all have opportunity. Every one of you sitting here right now, I want you to think right now about what is your biggest worry in your life right now. What is your biggest area of concern and anxiousness in your personal world right now? Have a think about it. As we go through this this morning, I want you to think about that particular situation, that particular concept, idea, that area of your world, which is a breeding ground for worry. Because there's uncertainty here. I don't know how this will pan out. I don't know how I can handle this or how I can do this or whatever. And so that uncertainty breeds worry. And we begin to worry. And Jesus doesn't just come along and say, well, don't worry. He's not saying that. I think that would be very cruel. How many of you, when you read the Bible, are looking for something to do or not to do? And how many of you, when you read the Word of God, you're looking for relationship? Relationship with the Father. So I know a lot of people and they read the word of God and all they're looking for is what I should do and what I shouldn't do. It all becomes about works. So they read this and go, okay, do not worry. Okay, so I've just got to stop worrying. That's not our heavenly Father. God knows how we are made. He knows how we're formed. Matter of fact, Jesus goes on in this passage and legitimizes all of their worries and says they're actually legitimate. And I believe that that's what God would say to us. Because you're worried about something, it's, it's legitimate that you care or you are devoted to this area of life and that you have concern about it. It's, it's normal. It happens. It happens. Let me tell you something about worry. Worry is not an emotional problem. It's a devotional problem. Well, if we drop the word problem, worry is not an emotional issue. It's a devotional issue. What we are most devoted to, what we are most focused on in life, that's where our worries tend to gravitate and that's where we tend to find most of our anxiousness. If, I'm not, if I don't care about something, I generally don't worry about it. If I care about something to the degree to which I'm devoted to it is the degree to which I will find anxiety and worry in my life. And it's normal, it's human nature. So Matthew chapter 6, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, neither toil nor spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. 
Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. There are four questions that Jesus asks as he's speaking to this crowd. He's not sitting there just telling me, ask them some questions. You know, whenever Jesus asks a question in the Bible, it's for a reason. He's trying to drill something out of them. What he's saying is, I want you to think about what I'm saying. Don't just sit there by rote and take... I want you to think about, I want you to engage with the content that I'm about to present to you. And so he goes along and he asks them four questions and they're four important things that he wants them to know about worry. Now, you've just thought about something, your biggest worry in your world right now. So I want you to think about that and I want you to bring these four thoughts to that picture, to that canvas, to that painting about this particular area of your life. Number one, life is more than your current worries. Life is more than your current worries. Verse 25, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than clothing? Here's Jesus' first question. Is not life more than, more than food and the body more than clothing? In other words, the things you're worried about is not life bigger than your current worry. One of the problems with worry, when we get really consumed with a particular thing, how many of you know that we can really magnify that issue? It begins to slowly overtake our whole world and by the end of it, it's way, way bigger than it should be. And generally, we don't notice that till this beautiful thing we call hindsight. A year later, we look back down the track and we go, oh, it wasn't actually that big of a deal as I thought it was going to be. Or we come out the other end in a week's time, we look back and go, I just can't believe I spent all that emotional energy, all that time complaining or whatever. Is your current issue, the thing you're thinking about right now, is it bigger than life itself? I'm going to answer it for you and say it's probably not. It's probably not. Now, it doesn't mean it's not valid. It doesn't mean it's not a legitimate area or a legitimate need or concern or want, but it's probably not as big as what we tend to allow it to become in our minds and in our hearts. Things get bigger and bigger and bigger the more we focus on them. It's, it's almost like, you ever go to the optometrist and they have those ever, the glasses, you know, when they're trying to find out your perfect thing? But, but like sometimes you go, and, and, and things can get bigger and bigger and bigger, you know? And, and it's kind of like that. The more we dwell on, the more we think about, the more we worry about, internalise, toss about, try to work out these areas of our life. It's like they just get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger until they're pretty much taking up so much time and energy, so much of our thought processes, because they've grown out of balance, they've grown out of whack. Yet Jesus says to them straight away, I know that you need food, I know, you need, I know all these worries that you have, I know they're all legitimate, but let me ask you a question. Are they bigger than life itself? First question. Is your worry bigger than life itself or is your worry just a part of life? You know, sometimes when we've got a worry or a concern, it it becomes so big that we can even forget the 98% of great and wonderful things that are going on in our life, the 98% of great relationships we have, the 98% of great um, activities we're involved in, the 98% of provision that comes through, and, and we get so focused on the 2%. And Jesus says straight away, is your life not bigger than this? Is life, does life not consist of more than just that one area? And I'm sure most people sitting there would go, okay, Jesus, yeah, I'll follow you. Okay, yep, 
first question. I get you. Yep, okay, Jesus, you're probably right. You're probably right. Yes. Second question. Second thing he wants us to know. God loves you above all other things. Verse 26, look at the birds of the air. Now keep in mind, they're actually sitting outside. It's not like if I said to you, now look at the birds of the air, you'd all have to run outside and I'd be standing here going, oh, jeez, it's hard enough getting the back after morning tea, let alone out there having a look at the birds, you know? But he says, stop, stop what you're doing. Now I've got your attention. Now that you realise that, that life is bigger than just that one area, you're str- now, that you've, now that we've cleared that up, now what I want you to do is just have a look up at the sky. Look at the birds of the air. Have a look. Check out the birds. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Who feeds them? Who feeds them? Okay, so he's starting to bring a little bit of focus here to the conversation. Okay? You're up here saying, what will I wear? What will I drink? He's going, okay, well, your problem's not that big. It's a part of life, but it's not all of life. Now, let's have a look at the birds. Now, your father feeds the birds. And then he goes on and he says this. Are you not more of more value than they? Question number two. Let me ask you a question. Are you valuable and loved by God? Firstly, is your problem, your concern, your issue, greater than life itself? Well, probably not. Second statement that he wants you to know is, God loves you above all other things. Do you believe that? So he's taking them on a bit of a journey. Okay, so my problem's probably not going to end my life. It's a concern. It's legitimate. It's genuine. But, okay. And, okay, so point number two, I have a God here who loves me more than anything else. I can walk out there, look at the birds and go, you know what, yeah, I I don't see birds flying around stressing about what they're going to eat for dinner. I've never seen a bird sitting on a tree, wings on its head going, oh, no, no. What's the problem? Oh, no food. The kids are chirping away. I don't know what I'm going to do. No, they just fly along kind of dumbly and go, oh, there's a worm. Eat it. Go back to their nest. Give it to their kids. They fly along one day and you're riding your push bike and they're just flying along minding their own business and they see your hair and they go, oh, I'll just go down there and pluck a hair out and they'll build a nest with it. And they just kind of go through these motions and do these things. He says, you know, they don't just do that. There's a God out there that's behind the scenes. God is taking care of all this stuff. That's God. And do you not think that you are way more valuable to the Father than these things? Do you believe that? Second thing, God loves you above all other things. The third thing, you can change nothing through the process of worry. You can change nothing through the process of worry. Verse 27 Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? If you could, I would be taller. I would definitely be taller. I've always wanted to be tall. It's a secret thing. It might not be much to a lot of people, but I've I've always wanted to be tall. And it's really disheartening when your kids begin to grow taller than you, and they're only 16. And I still do this. I still go, you know, no one's looking. I'm taller than you. And when I know I've got no shoes on, I just won't bounce. No. I won't do it. I don't have to prove nothing to you. I'm taller than you. I would be taller if you could worry your way into tallness. But worry changes nothing. How many of you have changed something in the last seven days through the process of worry? Hands down for me. Worry changes nothing. Worry has never changed anything. You would think that we would learn. 
Go back to the first time you ever worried about something. Go back to, if you could go back in your brain to the very first time you worried about something. And go back to the very last thing you worried about, which might have been this morning or the very thing you're thinking about now. Tell me, what is the difference in the outcome from that very first time you worried about something to the time you're worrying about something now? Nothing. Because worry changes nothing. We know this stuff, but we continue to go walk down a path where we just well, worry about that and then worry about that, I worry about that and I worry about that. And we just continue to worry. But worry has never changed anything. That's the third thing that he, he says to them. You can change nothing through the process of worry. So why waste your time and why waste your energy on worry? The fourth thing that he wanted the crowd to know, God can change everything even for those with tiny faith. God can change everything even for those with tiny faith. Verse 30. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? You don't even have to have a great deal of faith. And God can meet your need. God can get involved in that area of worry and he can change things. Worry can't change things. In other words, there are some things you can't change. God doesn't worry. He just changes things or he changes you. Either way, he deals with the worry. So watch this, right? This is the journey he's taking them on. First of all, he asks them a question. Is life more than your current worry? Yep. Then he says this, God loves you above all other things. Do you believe that? And then he says, you can change nothing through the process of your worry. And then fourthly, he says, but God can change everything. Even if you don't have a great deal of faith, he can change everything. So on the basis of these four questions, these four points that he says to them, where he takes them on a bit of a journey in their thinking. Okay, so yes, my worry is legitimate, it's there, but it's not the end of the world. Um, Secondly, uh, God loves me more than anything else. So he sees me in my stress and worry and anxiety. He knows what's going on and where I am right now. Uh, Thirdly, worrying and stressing, I can't change anything. And fourthly, God has the ability to change everything, even if I don't feel like I've got a great deal of faith. And on the end of those four questions, those four points, that's when he brings in that great famous verse, verse 33, where he says, but seek first the kingdom of God. See, what he's saying to them is this. Your worry is not an emotional issue, it's a devotional issue. You're more devoted to these things, therefore you're coming to these things and you're staying there and you're allowing stress and anxiety as you try to work out how you're going to deal with all the problems. But he says, if you will shift your devotion from those areas and shift it to the kingdom, I'll take care of that stuff. It's not an emotional problem. That's why he can't tell you just stop worrying. You can't tell people just to stop worrying. What I can do is say to you, whatever that worry is that you're thinking about, whatever that area is of your life, if you will run these four questions, run it through this grid, is it the end of the world for me? Is life bigger than this? Yes, it is. Does God love me? Well, yes, he does. Does my worry change this thing? No, it can't. Can God change it? Yes, he can. Okay, then I've got one solution. I'm going to go to God with this stuff. I'm going to take my anxiety, my worry, and my trouble to God. That's the logical conclusion that he's leading these people down. Now, watch what he says here in verse 32. Get my glasses to make sure I'm taking the right place. Verse 31, therefore do not worry, saying what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear. In verse 32, for after all these things, who seeks it? The Gentiles. 
after all these things. In other words, what he's saying is when you're sitting there and you're worrying about all these things, that's what people who have no relationship with God do. You see, when we worry, we've got a situation here, we paint a canvas. In the middle of that canvas is me. Behind me is the problem. And I've got to come up with the solution. I'm trying to work it all out and do it all. And for some of us, God's not even in the picture. Or at the very best, sometimes, God's just a tiny little stick figure in the top corner. But we're trying to do it all and work it all out ourselves. How many of you have had situations in your life, be honest, don't hand up, but think about it. The very last thing you even thought about doing was to go to God with this situation. Because we can deal with everything. We can handle everything. We can, you know, we're smart, we're talented, we've got resources, all these things. But the truth is we worry and we get anxious in our heart and we stress. And Jesus says, you know what? This is what the non-Christian world, if you want to put it that way, this is what the Gentiles, they seek after all this stuff. But you know what? Your father, look at this, your heavenly father knows that you need these things. He's just legitimized your concern. You know, I'm, I'm not saying don't worry as if it doesn't matter. It does matter. I'm your father and I love you. And I know your concerns for your the, the kids that are not walking with God or your bills that aren't getting paid or the pains in your body or the broken relationship. I know all these things. And I love you. I love you more than the birds, more than the flowers, more than the beautiful nature. And they go for a walk through a rainforest. Look at the beauty, the order, the structure. I love you more than any of that. And that doesn't just happen because it's there. I'm over all that too. The whole world run around, trying to work all this stuff out for themselves, stressing, pulling their hair out, getting anxious. That's what they do. But you've got me. You've got me. You've got me. Don't leave me on the sidelines. Don't leave me as a stick figure in the corner. Put me smack bang in the middle of the picture. Philippians 4, chapter 6, one of my favourite verses. Worry is a devotional problem. What do we focus on the most? If we take all that focus and we take it to God and we put our focus off the issue and the problem and, and we put it on our Heavenly Father who has told us that he loves us, told us that the need to... Gen- I understand, I get it, I want to help you. How many of you have ever had children and you see them going through a difficult situation and they just want to work it all out for themselves? Anyone ever been there? And you feel like you're on the sideline and you're going, man, I just want to help you. I just want to help you. I've got solutions. I've got provision. I've got answers. But you just want to do it all yourself. And I can tell you from a father's perspective, you're not doing a good job of it. But you persist in wanting to do it all yourself. You don't want to come to me. You don't want to bring it to me. I'm trying to say to you that you were not created as human beings to stress, worry, and be anxious. Jesus said, peace I give to you, peace I leave you, not as the world gives, but I, I want to give you peace. You can't be anxious and worrying and have peace. He says, this is what I've come to give you. This is what I want to offer my people. And you know what? When we run around stressing and worrying and anxious about everything, we probably look like we deal with life more. That's what Jesus is saying. We look more like the world when they're faced with crisis, trauma, need, drama than my people. Because I've called you to be in the world, but we're not of the world. Not of the world. 
Now, don't hear me saying that if you are anxious... See, there's a, there's a, there's a, a very real uh, medical, uh, physiological thing where people do get anxious and they do have uh, anxiety attacks, things like that. I've got friends of mine and, and it's not a case of saying in that environment that all you've got to do is bring it to God. I know that there are genuine things that happen in the human body that medical science understand. I'm not a doctor, I don't know. Where maybe people do need a bit of help and things like that. I'm not talking about that. But 95, 99% of what we worry about, 99% of us worriers don't have that. We just keep worrying because we carry it all ourselves. Philippians 4, 6 says this. Be anxious for what? Oh, come on. Seriously? Be anxious for a couple of things, surely. Surely it's healthy to be anxious for a couple of them. Anyway, we'll stick to the Bible. Be anxious for nothing. But in... Seriously, everything. Everything, come on. Surely there's a few things I can carry myself. I don't, you know. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And what happens then? And the peace of God, which what? Surpasses what? All understanding. It's not up here. It's in here. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds. Where does most of your worries occur? What guards that? Peace of God? Where does the peace of God come from? Relationship with him. You see, this right there, that verse, that is the antidote to stress and worry and anxiety right there. Because you know what worry is? If I could summarise worry, if I could give you, explain to you what I think worry is in a sentence, I would tell you this. Worry is the absence of the peace of God. When I start to worry and stress, the first thing I think, tell myself, is I'm losing the peace of God in this area of my life. Why am I losing that? Well, possibly I've just taken it all on board myself, trying to work it out. I'm, I'm not keeping him at the middle of the picture. And that's what prayer does. When we come to God with these things, what we do is we repaint that canvas and we place God in the centre, in the rightful place where he should be. And we give him the opportunity to work things out and to do things beyond just this natural realm of, of, of my ability and my power and so on. And God comes in and, you know, there have been times where I've had things on my mind, worries, stresses, anxieties, and I've had to go to God and pray. And sometimes I've got to just sit there and pray and just keep praying, going, God, you need, I, I can't, I'm not going to get all come away from here until I've got your peace, until I know I've given this over to you. Some things you can just sit there and go, well, God, I'll just give this to you. You can get up and walk away and feel the peace of God and let it go. There are other things in life that are, we carry heavier and we find harder. But yet the promise of God is this. If you'll come to me, don't be anxious for it. Anxiety won't help you. Stress won't help you. Worry won't help you. Don't be anxious through prayer. Thanksgiving, come to me. Let it be known to me. 
and I will take that stress, that anxiety, that worry, and I'll give you a peace, a supernatural kind of peace. Jesus said a peace that the world can't give and a peace that the world can't take away. You know why? Because the peace of God has not got anything to do with your situations, your circumstances, what you're facing, what you're going through, what your bank balance is, how you feel. It's got nothing to do with that. The peace of God is not stapled to some circumstance in your life. And if that circumstance runs away, peace runs away with it. That's the peace of the world. At the end of the day, that's what people are seeking. Every person is seeking peace. If I just have that beautiful model woman girlfriend, I'll have peace. If I just have that sexy bodybuilding man, I'll have peace. If I can just get married, I'll have peace. If I can just get unmarried, I'll have peace. You know? If I can just have a million dollars, win the lottery, I'll have peace. If I can just buy my own home, I'll have peace. If I can just have that new car, I'll have peace. If I can just have that holiday to Italy and France, I'll have peace. And the list goes on and on and on and on and on and on and on. And our country, our world is full of grave headstones and graves of people who are testifying to the world. It won't give you peace. When we lived in Bundaberg uh, many, many years ago, I remember a guy, I remember reading it in the newspaper, drove down a street not too far from us and took his own life. They found him hanging off a tree. He had just bought a brand spanking new car. He had a fantastic job and he had just started dating this really, really hot girl. And everybody was saying, we don't get it. Everything he wanted, he got it. And then he went and did this. Because the peace that we're looking for comes from God. And the peace that the world is searching for can only be found by God. And when we as a body decide that we're going to take these things to him, we're not going to stress and worry like the world does. Chase enough. We're going to take this stuff to God. It's not about being apathetic. This is actually the right way to handle it. If you're anything like me, there are moments in my life where I feel like if I'm not worrying, there's something wrong. I should be worried about that. You ever had people say that to you? You should be worried about that. And I've, I've bought into that for a lot of my life. I think, well, yeah, if I'm not worrying about this, then it communicates to the world that I don't care. But Jesus says, no, that's not what it communicates to the world. Worrying about it communicates that you're high-fiving the world, going, yeah, this is, this is how we... He says, not worrying about it, not stressing about it, bringing it to God, praying, presenting it to him, communicates to the world that you've probably found something they're still looking for. Because they couldn't do that in that situation. It's the peace of God. So I've had to re-change the way I think and go, you know what, yep, I can see the legitimacy of that problem. I, I, am I worried about my kids and different... Yes, I am. I'm, sorry, am I aware... Yes. Am I aware of this situation? Yes. Am I aware? Yes. But why worry about it? It won't change anything. What will change something is if I bring that thing to God, present it to him in relationship, to my father, who loves me more than the birds of the air and the lilies of the field. I'll just finish with this. Ask you a question. Matthew 6.34, the last verse says this, Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. You're going to have trouble. It's going to happen. You've, you've had some yesterday, you had a few today. You're going to have more tomorrow. The world's not going to stop giving you opportunities to worry. Okay? The world's going to make sure you've got more and more opportunity to worry. It's the choice that we make not to, but to take it to him. So I'll finish with this. What are you going to do? How are you going to live your life? Are you going to worry tomorrow about what worry failed to change today? 
Now, if you get to the end of the day today and your worry has changed the situation you started thinking about, I stand corrected. The word of God is still the word of God, but if you can get to the end of the day and honestly legitimately say, yeah, well, I worried all day about that and my worry changed it. Power to you. But are you going to worry tomorrow about what worry failed to change today? Or are you going to learn to give it over to your heavenly Father and trust him? Because he loves you and this is what he wants. And that's the journey that he's taking this crowd down. He's not saying don't worry as in just ignore the fact that you're concerned about something. He's saying, no, no, I want to teach you this is why you worry. And here are some things for you to think about. Answer this. Is this bigger than the rest of the world? Is it the biggest thing in your life? No. Does God love you? Yes. Can you change it by worrying? No. Can God change it if you bring it to him? Yes. Becomes a bit of a no-brainer the end of the day. Father, I want to thank you for uh, your word, Lord. And God, I thank you for your um, encouragement to us, Lord. God, thank you for the grace that uh, you're not an angry God. Jesus, you didn't sit there, raise your voice, point fingers at people and scream at them and rebuke them for having worries and concerns in life. That's not what you did. It's not what you do today. But Lord, you, you help us understand where they come from and you help us understand the journey that goes on in our head and our hearts and how we end up where we are. And you offer us godly alternatives to life. And Lord, I just pray for each of us here this morning, Father, as we go away from this place, that, uh, Lord, we wouldn't just get up, walk away, um, rate this morning on a scale of 1 to 10 and get on with the rest of the week. But God, I pray that you would seal in each of our hearts whatever it is that you are saying to us by your Holy Spirit. And God, teach us, teach us, Father, to not worry. Teach us not to be anxious. Teach us not to stress. Father, teach us to come to you with those concerns and those worries, God. Show us, Father, that you legitimise them. You know that we need these things. You know how important these issues are to us. But you love us so much that you don't want us to worry, to stress, and you don't want us to try to deal with all this stuff ourselves. You want us to come to you in prayer and relationship, Father. So, God, I just pray for each of us. Seal that stuff in our hearts today, Lord. Be with us, God, as we go out from this place this morning. Uh, Lord, as we go into the next week, I pray that, uh, Father, we would be different this week because of what you have said to us this morning. And I pray too, Lord, you would give us opportunity this week to show people out there that you're real and that you love them, Father. In Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. Have a great week. Uh, We'll see you in connect groups if you're in connect groups and they're on this week. Uh, Other than that, we'll catch up with you at some point.